I'm firstly reading from Isaiah chapter 49. It's on page 730 if you have a black Bible. Starting at verse 1. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servants of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. And the second part of God's word that we're going to read together is from 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now... You have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
Thank you, Jenny. Uh, you might like to turn back to Isaiah 49. Um, I won't be uh, preaching uh, systematically through those passages, but I will make reference to them as we uh, continue our fourth topical sermon looking at uh, our gospel growth strategy. Um, just while you're turning back to Isaiah 49, which we will, we will touch on, and uh, before I pray, I'll just uh, a little birdie mentioned to me that it's uh, Sandria's birthday today, so uh, happy birthday, Sandria. Perhaps we could sing happy birthday to Sandria later on. Let's, um, let's come before God and pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time now to reflect on the significance of what it means to serve. And uh, we ask that you'd help us to uh, to understand and, and know you better, that we'd love you more, that we'd respond to you as you call us to. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever thought uh, that Christianity can seem to be a bit self-serving, a little bit uh, kind of me-centred. Uh, it's about my salvation, my forgiveness, my fulfilment, my purpose, peace, blessing, victory, and it can sort of seem or be distorted and seem to be a bit me-centred. And some have levelled that uh, accusation against Christians, and to be fair, in some circles it, uh, it may seem to kind of head a bit in that direction. There can be a, a kind of me-focus to things. And in a way, that's, that's understandable because... Well, in Jesus, we do receive so much. We do find salvation and forgiveness and fulfilment and purpose and peace and blessing and victory. And we do receive so much. But God is not uh, like some kind of cosmic vending machine that we go to to get stuff from for ourselves. Now, he is not there for us. We are actually there for him. He is God. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the saviour. He's our creator, our sustainer, our saviour. He is God, our Lord and master. We are servants. Now, I think we can struggle with this idea of of being servants. Um, I think we can struggle with it for a number of reasons. Firstly, I think it's because we are so used to being served. I mean, you, you walk into a shop and you expect to be served. How may I help you, sir? I even get called sir. It's interesting, actually. I, noticed, I used to get called mate, and now I get called sir. So I, I think maybe it's the grey hair that's kind of... <laughs> but I have money, which they want, and so they serve me, so I give them my money. That's kind of... We're used to being served. I, want, I need my fridge fixed. I, I call someone to come, and I, I expect him to serve me by fixing my fridge. Uh, I want my kids to be educated. I send them to school and I expect the teachers to serve me and my kids by educating them. We're so used to being served by others. Uh, I think we can also struggle with being a servant because we can sort of think that being a servant is, well, it means being inferior. It means being downtrodden. And perhaps that's because that's the way that those who serve often are treated. And we don't want that for ourselves But I think the third reason that we can struggle with being a servant is simply that we like to be in control. I want to make up my mind to do what I want my way. I don't want someone else telling me what to do or how to do it. And so we can struggle with this idea of being a servant. What I want to do this morning is actually to share with you why and how, as Christians, we are called to be servants, to serve God and to serve others in love. 
Uh, this is our, our fourth week of looking at our gospel growth strategy, or OGS, as, as Matt so uh, aptly called it the other week. We love our acronyms. Um, and this diagram, this, this seeks to kind of capture and, and express what we are on about as a church and as individual Christians. We uh, seek the lost. We share the gospel and share our lives. We strengthen by God's word. And then this morning, we're looking at the fact that we serve others in love. Now, this serving actually has two aspects to it. Uh, I've said uh, previously that serve is kind of the engine room of each of these. And actually, as we serve God, that flows out into each of these four areas. So it's kind of, I'm looking at serving God and serving others. There's two aspects to it. Now, the first question to ask, though, is why? Why should we serve? Uh, We could answer that simply by saying it makes sense. Uh, God is God. We are not. And despite our great egalitarian Aussie culture where we like to sort of have everyone on the same playing field, we are not on the same playing field as God. He is God. We are his servants. And we actually see that constantly throughout the scriptures. God's people are referred to as servants of God. So in the Old Testament, uh, Israel, that was often a, a, a common standard description for Israel, servants of God. In the New Testament, Paul and the other apostles often refer to themselves as servants of God. Uh, The beginning of many of the letters in the New Testament, Romans, Philippians, Titus, James, 2 Peter, Jude, we we find things like Paul, a servant of God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And that makes sense. God is God. We are his people. We are his servants. But the other reason that serving is so important is that it's actually fundamental to God's character and God's actions. See, far from from being a servant being something that is looked down upon and despised, service is actually at the very heart of God. Service is godly. It's godlike. God became a servant. Now, maybe we're overly familiar with that idea, but if you stop and ponder that, that is mind-blowing. God became a servant. Uh, As I said, throughout the Old Testament, it refers to God's people, Israel, as his servants. He's God. He's the divine king. They are his servants. And yet something remarkable happened. Throughout uh, the prophecy of Isaiah, some 600 years before Jesus, this idea of, of servanthood develops. Uh, we read from Isaiah 49, an, an example of this, where it, uh, it says that God talks about Israel as my servant in verse 3. And yet he also speaks about someone else whom he calls my servant. Uh, this servant will suffer and will restore the tribes of Jacob, verse 6 says, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. And so God says that that from within his faithful servant Israel, God is going to bring forth one true faithful servant who will, verse 6 says, be a light for for the Gentiles and bring his salvation to the ends of the earth. And the way he says he'll do this is through service and suffering. And so a few chapters over in chapter 53, he speaks of this one who will be despised and rejected who will, 53 verse 4, take up the pain and suffering of God's people, who will, verse 5, be pierced for their transgressions, crushed for their iniquities. 
who will bring back the lost wandering sheep of God's people. Now, if you, of course, if you're familiar with Isaiah at all, you probably have read Isaiah 53, or if not, if you're familiar with Colin Buchanan, you'd know that uh, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, singing Isaiah 53.6. The, the barbars the barbars and the uh, are actually not in the Bible, but you'll know that, that this is... Isaiah is looking forward to Jesus. This is the servant who is going to come and will rescue God's people. Jesus is the one who is the true suffering servant. And so Philippians 2, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. The word there is slave. God became a slave. He took on human flesh as the man Jesus and was humbled, obedient to death, even death on an obscene, abhorrent, brutal Roman cross. God became a slave. God knows what it is to serve. And here's what motivates us to serve. Jesus calls us to follow him, to serve as he serves. Uh, In Mark chapter 10, you might be familiar with the incident where James and John come to Jesus and they they say, can you do for us whatever we ask? Which is always a a dangerous kind of question to to answer and say yes to. "Can Can you do whatever we ask? What they ask is for top seats in Jesus' kingdom, one on the right, one on the left. They want positions of power. And Jesus says this, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, if you want to become great, become a servant. Now, they may be familiar verses, but they are no less profound. I mean, think about it. Jesus didn't come to be served but to serve. It would have been right and fitting for Jesus to be served. He is God, the Son. He is the Son of God, the Son of Man. It's the reference to Daniel 7, this one who comes with all power and authority and all the people and nations bow down and worship him. The Son of Man could well have come to be served, but he didn't. He came to serve to the point of giving his life for you, for me. And what that means is that if we know and accept his service of us, if we're saved by him, called to belong to him, to follow him, then we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him in the way of sacrificial service. We are called to serve. So that's why we serve. But who are we to serve? Well, firstly, we're to serve God. What does that mean? Fundamentally, it means changing bosses or a change of government in our life. It's to switch from following and serving ourselves and what we desire to following and serving God and what he desires. Now, by nature, all of us are slaves. We're all slaves to one thing or another. 
Uh, Jesus said that to the religious folk of his day. Uh, he told them in John 8, 31, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. By nature, we are all slaves to sin. We're servants of sin. I mean, think about it. Who, who has decided to never sin and then carried that through perfectly? No one. Well, Jesus. Okay. Some of you would know, uh, would have heard me uh, share the story of the man who once visited the church and, and he was uh, speaking with the, the minister and, and he objected to the minister at this idea that we're slaves to sin. And so the minister said, well, look, just... just Pick one sin and say lying. And just go for one week without telling a lie. Fair enough? That's, that, that's straightforward enough, isn't it? So the man goes away and he comes back a week later and the minister says, oh, how'd you go? He says, it's not fair. He says, what, what do you mean it's not fair? It's just, just one sin, to go one sin without telling a lie for a week? It's not fair. Why is it not fair? I'm a real estate agent. <laughs> it's, it's part of the job. Any real estate agents here this morning? <laughs> we could pick on the real estate. We could pick on the politicians as part of their job too, apparently. But, but actually, we could pick on us all because we all, by nature, are slaves to sin. But by God's grace in Jesus, through his service of us, he has forgiven us and he has freed us from this slavery. That is, we have changed owners or masters or changed government in our life. Romans 6 says this, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. That is, if we trust and follow Jesus, we are no longer slaves to sin. We still face the temptation to sin. And sadly, all too often we, we give in to that temptation, but it is no longer our master. We are slaves, servants of righteousness, of following God's will. 1 Peter 2, that, that second passage we read, puts it like this in verse 16. Peter writes, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Use the freedom that we have in Christ to do good. In the case of what 1 Peter writes there, the example is submitting to the authorities that are over us. We are to do that as a reflection of it, flowing out from the fact that we are servants of God. We are God's slaves. So live as servants of God. Brothers and sisters, live as servants of God. Wake up in the morning. Start the day mindful that you are living this day as a servant of God. Mindful that you've been freed from living for yourself as a slave to your desires. And we live as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, compelled by Christ's love because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them 
and was raised again. We live as servants, not of self, but of Christ. Servants of God. That's our foundation. That's our glorious foundation. That's who we are in Christ. Servants of God. And out of that foundation, because, because of that, that service of God, we live as servants of one another. Jesus told his disciples to be slaves of one another. Mark 10.44 We are to serve one another. Now, this isn't just a kind of obscure idea that kind of pops up once or twice in the Scriptures. The New Testament is full of one another commands. Let me show you. Are you ready to be bombarded? I'll call it Bible bombing. Okay, I'm going to Bible bomb you. If you've got a pen, you might want to write down the references. You can look them up later. Here we go. John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. 13, 8. Let no debt remain except the continuing debt to love one another. 15, 7. Accept one another. Oops. Where are we? 15, uh, uh, 14. Instruct one another. Uh, 16, 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Corinthians 1, 10. Agree with one another. Ephesians 4.2, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. 5.19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up. Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. 10.24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, encouraging one another. James 4.11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. 1 Peter 1.22, love one another deeply from the heart. 1 Peter 3.8, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Uh, 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 1 Peter 5, 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. 1 John 4, 7, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. 4, 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Lastly, Galatians 5, 13, serve one another humbly in love. I think you've got to say that the idea of being a a solo Christian, not caught up in and involved in the lives of your fellow Christians, is completely unbiblical, fundamental to what we must be on about as Christians, is service of one another. We serve one another in love. Well, how? Well, those things, um, those 25 verses, love, devotion, acceptance, Instructing, speaking, admonishing, spurring, encouraging, bearing, forgiving, being humble, compassionate. Uh, now, any of those aspects uh, could warrant a sermon on their own. So here goes, 12 sermons. Let's go. <laughs> no, um, unfortunately, we don't have time for 12 sermons, but let me, let me make a few comments and suggestions about how this, how this really helps us. Uh, in thinking about church and about how we relate to one another. Uh, firstly, notice that 
this is a responsibility that's given to each and every Christian. This is something that we are all to do for one another. This is not just the responsibility of the pastor and the pastor's wife. God doesn't say the minister and his wife, they must be the ones who serve everyone in love. It's not just the responsibility of the staff of the church or the growth group leaders. This is the responsibility of everyone. We're all to serve one another in love. That's given to all Christians. And, you know, that is a very good thing. Uh, In our church, with 220 people who call Harrington Park Anglican their church and another 130 at Gregory Hills and Night Church, if, if providing for the needs of everyone in our church was solely dependent upon me, there would be a lot of people with unmet needs. Thankfully, God calls us to something far better than that. He calls on us all to play our part in creating a rich community that strives to serve one another in love. And, you know, as I look at our church, I see a lot of that going on. People loving and serving one another in all sorts of ways. I see a lot of it happening, particularly in our growth groups. That's a really helpful structure for enabling our loving service of one another. But it happens in lots of different ways in our church. Are we perfect? No. Is there more that we could do? Yes. And, you know, that's something that God calls on us all to work at. Because we're called to serve one another in love. What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, it means, as those Bible verses say, being devoted to one another, loving one another, praying for someone who's going through a tough time. I don't know if you know, but Steve Wood had a knee replacement a week or so ago. He's facing a tough time at the moment as he recovers from that. You may not know Steve. Some of you will, some of you won't. But you may know other people in our church who are going through a tough time who could do with your love and prayer and support. Maybe it means following up on, uh, on someone, sending them a text or a, making a phone call to find out how that thing went that you prayed about at growth group last week. Or loving others in practical ways. Cook a meal, mow a lawn, wash a car. Be devoted to one another. Uh, it means accepting one another as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family in Christ. Now, I don't know how things work in your family, but at times in families, that means we need to bear with each other. We need to forgive one another. We need to be humble with one another. We need to say at times, I'm sorry, I've done wrong, I've hurt you. I was challenged and encouraged recently listening to a guy on a podcast who who pointed out that the scriptures, as we've just read, Call on us to bear with one another in love. And he said, I want to be part of a church community that is close enough to one another that at times we rub each other up the wrong way and so we need to bear with one another in love. Think about it. God wouldn't call on us to bear with one another if we were meant to just kind of drift through life keeping everyone at arm's length. Serving one another in love means... Encouraging at times, spurring one another on, because actually we're in this together. Sometimes it even means correcting and admonishing one another. That's hard, and we need to do that humbly 
and gently. We need to recognise that, that we may not see the whole picture. We may not be seeing things straight. There may be a whole other factor that we haven't even considered. We need to do it humbly. But it does mean at times there'll be, a part of serving one another will be to engage, to admonish, to correct as we engage and help and strengthen. The Christian life is a life of service. Service of God. Service of others. And you know, for all of us, that starts with the Copernican Revolution. You heard of the Copernicus, Nicholas Copernicus from the 16th century? He was an astronomer, amongst other things, and he put forward the, the, what was then crazy idea that the sun and the stars and the planets weren't actually all revolving around the earth, but actually the earth and the planets were revolving around the sun. That was a radical mind shift. That's the mind shift that we all need. That is, we are not the centre of the universe with God and others revolving around us. God is at the centre and we revolve around him. We don't live to be served by God and by others. We, serve, we live to serve God and others in love. Now I'm going to stop there, but I want to ask you to think through where the rubber hits the road for you. What is it for you that you need to think through, that you need to put into practice? How does, how does knowing Christ's sacrificial love for you, how does being a servant of God flow through into how you live your life, in particular into how you serve others in love, at home, at, at work, amongst your church, your friends, your family? Why don't you take a moment to to think, uh, to reflect, perhaps to pray. How do you need to, how can you put this into practice? How can you serve others in love? Just give you a moment and I'll lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus, who, though being in very nature God, did not consider that something to be used to his own advantage, but gave that up to become a servant. Lord Jesus, we thank you for serving us, for bringing us the forgiveness of our sin, for bringing about that change of government, from being slaves to sin, to being your servants. Father, we thank you for the freedom that you've won for us in that. And we pray that we will use that freedom to serve you wholeheartedly and to serve one another in love. Father, we thank you that you don't call us uh, to live life uh, as, as islands, but you call us into community into your church. Father, we thank you for our church. Thank you for the many ways that we can love and serve one another. We pray that you would grow us in this, that we would be a rich community, rich in relationship and love for one another. Father, please help us to do this, that we would be people 
who bring honour to you as we serve you and serve one another. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.